and welcome to Fire Whiskey and Honey, the podcast about Shea Alani's The Debt of Time, aka the pinnacle of Harry Potter fanfiction, aka the longest and best Harry Potter fanfiction that I have ever read. And that I've never read. I'm Claire. And I'm Kat. I am a recent fan of Fangasm. And I'm a longtime Potterless fan. And together we decided to start a podcast that combines the best of the two. A lengthy story that also happens to be fanfiction. Occasionally erotic fanfiction. Sorry, Mom. If you must use your wands during this podcast, we advise you that you pause. (laughs) The plan for this podcast is to read a chapter each episode and discuss. It'll probably, definitely, be profane. And there will be adult situations, so this podcast is rated explicit. Alright, so, um, a little introduction to us before we get started on this podcast, our first ever podcast. Um, I, Claire, am a longtime Harry Potter fan, uh, you know, used to order the books, have them delivered the day they were released, would read them all in one sitting, seen every Harry Potter movie, um, I've, you know, watched all the Fantastic Beasts, and I also read and write occasionally a lot of Harry Potter fan fiction. I'm a huge fan. I just, you know, I'm a voracious fan fiction reader. Cat. And I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I just watch the movies. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been telling Cat for years that she needs to get into fan fiction because it is amazing. And one of the reasons that I actually wanted to do this podcast was to help get her into this particular story. And the story, as I mentioned earlier, is The Dead of Time. It is written by pen name Shayalani, and the story she has written here is 727,000 words. Harry Potter itself is just over 1 million. The longest Harry Potter book, The Order of the Phoenix, is about 257,000 words. This is an epically lengthed series. It is four books. The first two books are fairly short. The No, the first book is fairly short. The second book is incredibly long. And the third and the fourth book are fairly short. So uh, we will be breaking book two up into multiple seasons. And I feel like this is a lot of information that you probably don't need. And you probably just want us to delve into the podcast. Yeah, Can't. God, Claire, shut up and just read all <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So without uh, further ado... Here is Shayalani's masterpiece, The Debt of Time. July 2nd, 1997. Harry. His funeral is today. Hermione tried to reason with her best friend once again. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But we need to focus on the future and destroying Voldemort. That's what's important. Her tears have been threatening to spill over for some time now. The look on Harry's face kept her in perpetual grief. 
more so on his behalf than her own. It's what Dumbledore would have wanted. Also, quick pause. All right, July 2nd, 1997. For those of you who do not follow the Harry Potter timeline, this is right at the end of the Half-Blood Prince, right after Severus Snape has killed Dumbledore, courtesy of Draco Malfoy. And this is the beginning of the summer before they go on the Horcrux hunt. So for those of you tracking Harry Potter times, the final battle of Hogwarts is going to be May of 1998. So this is 10 months prior to that. Kat, you knew that, right? Oh, yeah. L let me tell you how much I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> it's what Dumbledore would have wanted. Their headmaster, the greatest wizard who had ever existed, was dead. Though the rest of the world seemed all too ready to embrace grief and move forward, Harry Potter was determined to find a way around it. Hermione knew that he blamed himself for Dumbledore's death, regardless of how often she and Ron insisted otherwise. The fault rested in the hands of the Death Eaters who had broken into the school, Draco Malfoy for letting them breach the protective wards of Hogwarts, and the murderer himself, Severus Snape. It almost felt obscene to be at school after everything that had happened, but shortly after the funeral, they would be getting back on the Hogwarts Express and heading home to an uncertain future. While the professors and house elves prepared for the funeral, most of the students were happy to be outdoors now that the weather was decent enough. As gloomy as the castle felt without Dumbledore at the helm, the majority of students could not stop themselves from embracing the typical excitement that came from preparing to go home for the summer. Either that, or they were nosy and wanted to watch as funeral guests arrived. Gryffindor Tower was empty save for Harry and Hermione. However warm it was outside, the common room felt cold, even as embers continued to dance in the fireplace. Okay, hold up, stop. Been to Scotland, know it's cold. But fire in a fireplace in July seems a little excessive. Is it just me? No, it, it's not. But you got to admit that we've seen weirder things and we've done weirder things. So Yeah, I mean, we lived in South Florida and used to have bonfires in the middle of summer. So, like, you know, can't judge. Okay. <clears throat> Ginny, holding her head up high after her breakup with Harry, had abandoned last-minute packing in favor of one final pass around the Quidditch pitch. Ron had been all too eager to accompany her, leaving Hermione to fix the angry and desperate look in Harry's eyes on her own. You can't know what he would have wanted, Hermione, Harry stubbornly contended. Can't you just... There must be something in the library, the restricted section, maybe. You could use my cloak to go. No one has to know about it. Can you look for me? Harry, you can't bring back the dead, she said hoping to put an end to the outlandish idea. Snape used the killing curse. No one survives that. The immediate expression on Harry's face made her regret her choice of words. I did. She recoiled at his volume, but still placed a gentle hand on his arm. You are not to blame. Just because you survived the killing curse does not mean anyone who is killed is more deserving of being spared from it than you. She lowered her tone to something softer as she saw his eyes begin to glaze with tears. Besides, you didn't die and come back, Harry. You repelled it. There's a difference. She hoped he would finally allow himself to grieve and move on. Dumbledore was dead, and there was no bringing anyone back from the dead. 
They had been taught that lesson entirely too well over the past few years. Okay, end of the first entry. What do you think? That's some intense stuff, man. But it's very juicy, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Well, do I have a uh, treat for you? Because the chapter goes on. July 9th, 1997. One week later, Hermione sat in Ron's bedroom at the borough, a book on horcruxes open in her lap. It was one of the tomes that she had summoned from Dumbledore's office prior to leaving Hogwarts, and while there were things in the text that she would have rather never read, she had other chapters saved with several bookmarks for later perusing. The subject of death had become something of an obsession for her. There was definitely no coming back from the dead. However, in-depth research of horcruxes had shown her the concept's gray areas, a far cry from the black and white demarcations that Hermione had previously believed about life and death. One thing was certain. There was no possible way to bring back Albus Dumbledore. Nevertheless, something in the book called out to her. After skimming a few paragraphs, Hermione perused the rest of the volume with great interest. If they were going to hunt and destroy the things keeping Voldemort connected to this world, she wanted to know as much about life and death as possible, so as to take down the Dark Lord without losing anyone else in the process. There was an informative chapter on the Killing Curse that went into detail on how to use it and its physical effects before and after death. While there was no mention of survival, there was a small, handwritten note at the bottom of one page. In the script she had come to recognize as the hand of her former headmaster, it read, Sacrificial Love, Lily Potter, 1981. Eager to avoid the reminder of how and why they had ended up in this situation, Hermione snapped the book shut. Chores needed to be tended to. While she had been able to avoid most of the Weasleys thus far, especially since they were walking on eggshells around her after discovering that she had obliviated her parents, it was time to face the rest of the world. Hermione stood, adding the volume to a stack that continued to grow in the corner of Ron's bedroom. All the books she had brought from her home in Hogwarts were heaped on top of one another in organized piles, waiting to either be set aside or packed for the Horcrux hunt. When she made to leave the room, the books tumbled onto the floor behind her. Letting out an exasperated sigh, she churned to clean the mess, noticing as she did that the volume she was just reading had fallen open. The chapter title on display caught her attention and she narrowed her eyes. Life Debts. A magical bond formed between a wizard or witch and the person whose life he or she saved. The one who owes the debt to the savior is one day obliged to repay the deed by performing something beneficial to or for said savior. Such a bond can be formed between even the worst of enemies, regardless of whether either of the involved parties desire it. As this bond is magically binding, the indebted could commit the act of repayment without acknowledging it or even against his or her will. Because the magical binding of a life debt is so resolute and impossible to resist when called upon, most witches and wizards in such a debt offer to repay it immediately and without hesitation. The life debt ritual itself is a spell that calls the debtor to settle their account by use of blood magic and sacrifice. This powerful magic flows through the pair so strongly that, once enacted, the debtor is bound to the savior. Life debts were often abused in times of war, when a dark wizard would purposely endanger the life of a witch in order to save her and indebt her to him. He would then use the life debt ritual to bind the witch to him against her will, most especially if a proposal of marriage had already been refused by the witch and her house. The ritual itself was banned, 
though never specifically outlawed, in 1242, after the wizard Cadmus Peverell was thought to have endangered and subsequently saved the lives of six daughters of a rival house with the intent to use the life debt ritual to bind them all to him. Peverell used the leverage over the rival house patriarch in order to gain the marriage of one daughter willingly, as opposed to six by force. All right, another quick pause. Uh, do you know who the Peverells are? No. All right. If you remember, in book and movie seven, uh, the story of the three brothers, that ringing a bell? Yes. Okay. So, the three brothers, one had the Elder Wand, one had the Resurrection Stone, one took the Cloak of Invisibility from death. Yes? Yes. Okay. Well, the Cloak of Invisibility that was passed down from father to son ends up at Harry Potter. If you remember when Harry and Hermione went to go to the graveyard to visit his parents' graves, while they were there, they found the grave of Ignotus Peverell, and he had the sign of the Deathly Hallows on his gravestone. It is believed that the Peverell brothers are, in fact, the three brothers of lore. Ooh. Oh, snap. Okay. Uh... When his betrothed perished before their wedding, it is rumored that Cadmus intended to use the life debt ritual to call her from the grave, but was unsuccessful. When performed correctly, the life debt ritual, as detailed below, can extend through time and space. Though it is powerful enough to pass beyond the veil, death by killing curse is the one exception to this ritual. Exactly what I told him. No one comes back from the killing curse. Hermione shook her head in mild frustration as she recalled her argument with Harry before Dumbledore's funeral. With a deep sigh, she closed the book again and reorganized her stacked archive, but not before placing a red ribbon between the pages. Though unrelated to the Horcrux search, life debts has, had always been something of interest to her, and it would not hurt to keep the page marked for light reading later on. She had already known a bit about life debts from casual reading, though nothing about a ritual had been mentioned to her before. She could only imagine the lengths that greedy wizards would go to in order to hold power over others. Hermione was confident that she owed a life debt or two to plenty of people. Harry, for certain, though he owed her just as many as himself, or just as many himself, if not more. Oh, please, he owes her the whole entire world and Ron. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, mean, I think that my favorite line in one of the movies, I forget which one it is, is the one where McGonagall's like, how come every time something happens, it's always you three, like, and yeah. it's mostly Harry's fault, let's be honest. Oh, it's always Harry's fault. Hey, I think Snape's trying to steal the Sorcerer's Stone. No, he's not. I think Draco is the heir of Slytherin. J.K.L. Well, it's your future wife. <laughs> <sighs> she only likes you because she thinks you're the chosen one. I am the chosen one. Like, <laughs> Stop being so arrogant. Uh, I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the books, but it did kind of fit into sassy book Harry. Although my favorite movie Harry that was not book Harry was when he takes the Felix Felices. Well, oh my oh, god, that is my favorite! Then by all means, come along, sir. Yeah, my favorite is with the spider. He's like... I think it's the eyes. And the pincers. Like, that, that is the only reason why that is my favorite movie, just for that part. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm done. I'm done. Whew. All right. <clears throat> Hermione was confident that she would have... Oh, you already did that. Uh, she smiled, thinking how grateful she was that this ritual was, for the most part, unknown. 
Hermione knew that Severus Snape had owed Harry's father, James Potter, a life debt for saving him from a werewolf attack during a full moon. The thought of Harry's father purposefully binding Professor Snape to himself in order to call in a life debt was almost laughable. From what she had heard about James Potter, he was not one to be that cruel. Sirius Black, on the other hand. Hermione stopped in her tracks as the color drained from her face. She darted back to the stack of books, almost tripping in her haste over a quaffle at the foot of Ron's bed. Flipping open to her bookmark, she reread the passage. When performed correctly, the life debt ritual, as detailed below, can extend through time and space. Though it is powerful enough to pass beyond the veil, death by killing curse is the one exception to this ritual. Powerful enough to pass beyond the veil. She stared, eyes wide at the words, her hands shaking. Oh my god! You know it's coming? No. Maybe. You'll see. Alright. July 21st, 1997. After almost two weeks of intense research that involved two trips to the Hogwarts Library, courtesy the Flu Network and Professor McGonagall's office, Hermione had a plan in motion. Unfortunately, she was not the only one. Mrs. Weasley had a demanding plan regarding a rather large wedding for Bill and Floor. The Order had an intricate plan relating to the removal of Harry Potter from Privet Drive. Ron had a lazy plan on how to tell his parents that, instead of returning to Hogwarts for their seventh and final year, he, Harry, and Hermione were going to traipse around Great Britain in hopes of discovering the severed bits of Voldemort's soul wrapped in shiny packages like rings and lockets. Everyone had a plan. Hermione's plan, however, required immediate action before the ability to enact it became limited by the Ministry, the Order, and the Weasleys. It did not help that she felt she had to keep both Ron and Harry in the dark. However, she needed to tell someone. While Mrs. Weasley was outside tending to the garden and Ron was upstairs sleeping in late, Hermione threw flu powder into the fireplace under the guise of heading out for a last-minute trip to Diagon Alley for school supplies. She waited for the green flames to erupt before shouting, The Den! Do you know what the den is? A man cave. <laughs> Close enough. On the other end of the flue, Hermione stepped out of a shallow fireplace and into Remus and Tonks' cottage, also known as the Den. Very clever, considering he's a werewolf. I dig it. Coughing, she dusted the soot off of her robes before clearing her throat and calling out, Remus? Tonks? The couple had only been married for a few weeks, so Hermione stayed put, unwilling to creep about their house and accidentally walk in on the newlyweds in a private moment. Okay, <clears throat> as a newlywed myself, yeah, no, there, there's nothing to walk in on. We're generally just sitting on the couch watching The Office for the 15th time. She smiled, gazing around the comfortable drawing room. It looked lived in and warm, like the burrow, but not nearly as cluttered. It felt quiet and peaceful like Remus, subdued in nature, for room could be such a thing. However, the bright splashes of color here and there, in addition to the aura robes that were flung over the back of a chair, made it very clear that Tonks lived here. Watch Hermione, Tonks said as she entered the room from the small adjoined kitchen. Hermione winced at the nickname that Ron had given her. She detested nicknames and had been very vocal about it from the beginning. The only person allowed any deviations from her full given name was Grop. Because how exactly does one argue with a giant? 
Correcting anyone who called her anything other than her name became a futile mission, and she'd given up when it had become apparent that her friends were either ignorant of her wishes or too lazy to say more than three syllables. Tox's bright bubblegum pink hair shone even in the shadows of the dimly lit room that was kept dark by the curtains closed against the rising sun in the distance. Sorry, full moon was last night, Tox mumbled with a tender smile before opening the drapes. He gets headaches sometimes the morning after. Hermione waved off Tonks' apology and returned the smile. It's good to see he's being well cared for. Despite the momentary lack of faith she once had in regards to her former professor years ago in the Shrieking Shack, Hermione had always felt a strong sense of concern when it came to his well-being. She chalked it up to her empathetic nature when it came to all beings despised by the pure-blood supremacists of the wizarding world. Muggle-borns, werewolves, elves, goblins, giants, and centaurs all unworthy of magic, though she, as a witch, would be given far more opportunities than the others. The unfairness of it made her want to strive for their freedoms all the more. I would have come to help if you needed it. It's not a problem, Tonk said. Gotta learn to deal with him on my own. Is he well? Hermione quietly asked. Much better, thanks to a fully stocked potion cabinet. Tonks' smile took a slight mischievous turn as she added, Plus, I slipped him some sleeping drop yesterday at breakfast and forced him to rest up. <laughs> nice drugging the husband. I like it. Are you sure you were a Pufflepuff? That sounds terribly Slytherin of you, Hermione teased. You're a good wife, Tonks. I'm glad he has you. Hands on her hips, Tonks blew a strand of hair out of her face, feigning exasperation. Well, I'm kind of stuck with the big beast now, aren't I? That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> a disheveled Remus Lupin yawned as he entered the room, a warm-hearted look directed at his wife. As he kissed her cheek, he asked, Weren't those your wedding vows? Hermione's smile brightened. Good morning, Remus. Her voice drew Remus's attention, and his brief face briefly lit up. He inhaled, squeezing Tonks lightly around her shoulders, before offering a calm smile and greeting. Hermione, you're looking well. Hermione watched the subtle way that Tonks leaned into Remus's touch, the sight tugging a bit at her heartstrings. And you. Mares looks like it agrees with you, Remus. When he inclined his head in agreement, she could see a faint blush creep up his cheekbones. It was a delightful sight compared to the sickly pale he had developed during the week of the full moon. It's cause he's got such a fit young wife, Tonks boasted, teasing her husband. Remus barely flinched at the mention of their age difference, a startling contrast to his behavior only a month or so prior. Hermione smiled thoughtfully. Youth is wasted on the young. Oscar Wilde, Remus said with a knowing grin. Muggle, he chuckled, gently correcting her. Wizard. Eyes wide at the revelation, Hermione asked. Really? Who? Tonks raised an eyebrow in confusion at Hermione's excitement. I swear, I never know what you two chatter on about. Might as well be speaking mermish for all the good I get out of your conversations. She laughed, throwing herself down in a large, fluffy armchair. So, what brings you by, Hermione? Hermione's smile faded, and she began wringing her hands together. Actually, I need your help with something of serious importance, she said, choosing her words and emphasis on those words deliberately. While Tonks' expression implied that she was oblivious to Hermione's tone, Remus's jaw twitched slightly, and his brows raised a fraction of an inch. Is it about Harry? 
Tonks asked. In a way, yes, but not directly, Hermione tried to explain. I need first for you to trust me, and then I need your assistance in something dangerous and possibly illegal. She spoke the words softly, waiting for either of them to shove her back into the flu. When neither Tonks nor Remus made a move, she continued, I need to get into the Ministry of Magic. Remus's mouth pinched in trepidation, a concerned expression growing on his face. Again? Don't frown, you'll get wrinkles, Hermione chided him automatically without thinking. I feel like that's her first reaction, is she's like, I need you to break me into the government. And he's like, again? And she's like, you're gonna get wrinkles, stop frowning. (laughs) Like, Like, well... Like, hey, yes, again, I know I broke in when I was, like, you know, 15 and, you know, fought criminals, but I need to do it again. Hope you don't mind. (laughs) It's just another Tuesday for them. It's fine. No, her first response to a guy 20 years older than her is, hey, don't frown, you're gonna get wrinkles. Like, fuck you, teenager. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true. It it is. I, I frown. I have wrinkles. But I also laugh and have wrinkles for that. So, you know. Balance. There's uh, a cream for that. <laughs> There's a cream for everything. Um, Hermione chided him automatically without thinking, something that only made his frown deepen. No, not like last time. Security is different, which is why I need an R. She cocked her head at Tonks. I'm aware that Minister Scrimgeour is making a grand declaration tomorrow morning. Yeah, Tonks confirmed. Some big cop press conference to remind the world that the ministry knows what they're doing. Her eyes rolled, changing in the process from a deep brown to a bright blue. So, you want to go to the press conference? No. Hermione shook her head, taking a deep breath to steal her nerves. I want you to get me in the door, and then, she said, turning to Remus, I want you to come with me to the Department of Mysteries. Remus's brows retreated to his hairline. Are you serious? But don't call me Shirley. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Shirley, you can't be serious. Uh, are you serious? Interesting choice of words, Hermione said carefully. And yes, I genuinely want to go back there. It's important. I've made a discovery, and I need to test it out. I don't know when else I'll have the chance to. I know the Order believes that the Ministry will soon be infiltrated if it hasn't been already. Currently, there's enough confusion that I can get away with what I want to attempt. If Voldemort takes over the government, there may never be enough... Er... Bleh, sorry. Wheel spinning. Hamster died. Uh, there may not ever be another chance. What I need right now could be destroyed at any point in the future, and I'm not willing to let that happen before I can test my theory. Tonks looked more than pleased to help, which was surprising considering the fact that she had absolutely no idea what exactly Hermione was planning. Okay, maybe it's just me, but I picture Tonks a lot like a corgi. Just, like, kind of (laughs) happy, tongue lolling out the side of her mouth, and she's just like, yeah, sure, you know, break you into the government, take you into super secret area. Yeah, no big deal. Sounds cool. Fun. Got you. Let's go. (laughs) I'm just gonna go with whatever you said. (laughs) She's so chill. I love Tonks. Uh... Remus, brilliant wizard that he was, seemed to be in tune with Hermione's thoughts somehow, or perhaps it was something more primal than that. His intense gaze made her feel like he was looking for a quality in her that she did not possess, as though the way she breathed around words and held her posture when speaking was missing something crucial. 
to be found lacking made her want to look away in shame. All right, Lemus agreed after a long moment of contemplation. I trust you. Thank you, Hermione breathed a sigh of relief, her shoulders losing a bit of the tension she had been carrying. I have everything I need ready to go. Shall we meet here tomorrow morning? Say, six? That will work, Remus said. Are you sure? Do you need more time to recover? Hermione inquired, a worried look in her eyes. He smiled kindly at her. I'll be fine, Hermione. Thank you. Six is good. Sounds good enough to me, Tonks echoed. Big speech is set for seven, since Scrimgeour is an early bird pain in the arse. That'll give us enough time to get ready to set along to the ministry. I can get you through during the commotion. Security's only going to be tight in the main atrium, where the minister will be. I can take you in through the aura entrance in the back. We've got a private lift. How long do you think you'll need to do whatever it is you're going to do? I'm not sure, Hermione winced, the tension in her shoulders returning as she thought back over the details of her plan. Do you know if the Department of Mysteries is active right now? It might be. They put a lot of effort into repairing the damage you lot caused last summer. Tonks's words were tinted with mirth and admiration, as though she were applauding the destruction of what, or the destruction that had been caused during the battle against the Death Eaters. Of course, I threw a few good hexes myself, she said smugly, settling back in the chair as though it were a throne. She doubtlessly did not want anyone to overlook her part in the fight, especially considering she had ended up unconscious by the end of it. Battle scars were like badges of honor to ours who had been trained by Alistair Moody. Will they be there tomorrow? Hermione asked. The unspeakables, I mean. Tonks snorted, shaking her head as she answered. Unlikely. Whole bloody building will be set up for the minister's big speech. Scrimgeour's just trying to make the ministry look like they're all one big team on this. Bloody nonsense. I agree. Hermione reached into her pocket and moved a small galleon, handing it over to Tonks. Here. Tonks grinned, rolling the coin back and forth between her fingers. A late wedding gift? Communication, Hermione explained, bouncing on her heels. I created them a few years back when Umbridge took over Hogwarts. The defense group Harry created needed a way to communicate so we would know when and where to meet. I put a protein charm on these galleons. When I charm mine to send a message, yours will grow hot. Then you can read it. I used, the charm, uh, I used to charm the numbers to change to the specific date and time, but I've been trying to adjust them to send short phrases. When Remus and I are done with my mission, I'll send you a message so you know we're ready to leave, and we can exit. It's like a wizard text message. <laughs> exactly! But it's like, also, you have to admit that if Hermione wasn't around, all these adventures that they gone on, Ron and Harry would totally be dead. Or in detention or something. Yeah, or like somewhere. Because, like, she thinks of these things, and I'm like, who comes up with that? Like, oh, God, who's the, who's the name of the person who comes up with all the technology for 007? Is it, like, Q, I think? She's, like, Q. She's the one who comes up with, like, oh, what? You need a way to communicate with people? Boom. Here's a coin. You just start, you think of what you want it to say. It says it. No big deal. Like, she just, she comes up with cool stuff. I feel like Yeah, and for someone who has muggle parents, like, that's pretty impressive. I think that's part of why she's able to do it. Because, like, granted, this is 1997, so even if there are cell phones, but they're still fairly young. Yeah, and by the way, listeners, I did not mean that for her having muggle parents to be a bad comment. It's just that for some reason in my mind... I don't understand how somebody that doesn't come from magic can be magic, if that makes sense. Just saying. 
I don't read. I don't well, know. I mean, you know, two of my friends you know who do I not mean? have red hair have a red-headed child, so, like, anything's possible. But my guess is, like, recessive genes. It's yeah. like being a redhead. It's a recessive gene, and, like, every muggle-born born is born to at least one parent who's, like, you know, great-great-great-great-grandparent was either a wizard or a witch or even a, um, oh god, what's it called when they can't do magic? Squib. A squib. So, I'm assuming she's descended from a squib. Yeah, Just need to do some, uh, Ancestry.com for her mighty <laughs> You put a magical Ancestry.com? I'm gonna need that done real quick. Alright. Uh, Wicked! Counts exclaimed. Remus <laughs> snatched the galleon out of her fingers. You said she created this a few years ago? Remus asked, examining the coin with familiar curiosity, as though he had seen one like it before. Yes, I got the idea from the Death Eaters, actually, Hermione said with a nervous laugh. The dark mark, I mean. It's not dark magic, but I figured I could use a protein charm to mimic the type of spell I think is used. Remus nodded in understanding, quickly burying his previous expression to instead smile at her. It's extraordinary, Hermione. Right, Tonk said. So you'll heat up the coin and I'll come fetch you out. If you're done on time, we could probably slip out with the rest of the media. I could transfigure your features, make you less noticeable. No, Hermione objected right away but then reconsidered after a moment. Well, oh, oh, I just got why she doesn't want to. Why? Polyjuice Potion, second year. Oh, yeah, that was time there. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Darn it. Okay, okay, I understand why she's a little gun-shy. I've... I have read this story a couple of times. That is my first time catching that. I was like, why doesn't she want that? Like, hello, she's fairly recognizable. Okay, that makes sense. Um, But then reconsidered after a moment. Well, maybe transfigure me a bit, just in case. If I'm successful, we'll need to leave back through the private entrance and disapparate as fast as possible. Here, preferably, if you don't mind, she said, gesturing to their home. I would suggest Grimmel Place, but... But we don't know if Severus alerted the Death Eaters to its existence. Remus finished her thought with an understanding nod. Good thinking. Thank you. So, we'll meet back here tomorrow at six and go over everything before leaving. Sounds like a plan to me. Tonk stood up quickly and embraced Hermione. Can't wait. I love surprises, she said with delight. You will eventually tell us what you're planning, yeah? Hermione smiled nervously. If it works, I won't have to. Go on, then, Remus gestured to the fireplace. I can't imagine you've told anyone else about this plan of yours, which means you've lied to Molly about your current whereabouts. His eyes flashed with mischief for a moment, and both Tonks and Hermione grinned a little, though the latter flushed with embarrassment. Better get back before she catches on. Tonks will owl later to ask for your help with something tomorrow morning. Something for Bill and Fleur's wedding, perhaps. I imagine that'll put Molly at ease with you, with letting you out the door. Hermione chuckled. Might be the only thing that would do it. If I were one of her children, she wouldn't let me set foot on the front porch unless I was there to sweep it. She hugged Tonks once more, and then moved to embrace Remus, who looked hesitant to return the affection at first. As he gave in to her hug, it felt as though he were holding his breath. Thank you both so much. All right, safe trip back, Hermione, Tonks said as she moved towards the kitchen stopping to turn and level a teasing glare at her husband. Remus, 
Get in here and eat some bloody breakfast. You're still much too skinny for your own good. I like a wolf with some meat on his bones. She winked at him before leaving the room. Hermione smiled as Remus turned, an embarrassed blush on his cheeks, to offer her a look of apology on behalf of his irrepressible wife before retreating after her. Stepping towards the fireplace, Hermione reached for the flu powder when her beaded handbag fell from a pocket in her robes. She cringed on instinct, wondering if Remus and Tonks would have heard the sounds of shifting objects as the illegally charmed bag tumbled over itself onto the ground. The undetectable extension charm had been essential considering all the necessities packed inside of it for the Horcrux hunting trip. She made a mental note to put a sticking charm on the bag as well, so she would not be in danger of losing all of their supplies. As she leaned down to retrieve the bag, she overheard Remus and Tonks in the kitchen. Though she was not one normally to eavesdrop, especially on her friends, she could not help but be a little curious when she heard her name spoken. Desperate to know whether or not they were genuine about wanting to help her, Hermione listened. I'm sorry about that, Remus muttered. Sometimes Hermione can just... There's no need for that, Tonks insisted in a loving tone. We've been through this for a year, ever since you told me the truth. It's nothing to be ashamed about. It's definitely nothing I need to worry about. Hermione could hear the smile in Tonks' voice. For some reason, it filled her with ease despite not knowing the specifics of the conversation. Remus's tone, however, was tense and worrisome as he asked, You're certain? As certain as I am that I'm your mate, Tonks said firmly. You think she's going there to get the... Remus sighed. It's possible, though I doubt her reasons are the same as mine. But you're sure that it's close? Close, Remus sounded uneasy. If we survive this war, then maybe. Only time will tell, I suppose. You worry too much. You know I love you, right? Remus asked with quiet fervor. I know, Tonks replied. It's okay, love. There are some things you can't help, and this is absolutely one of them. You didn't plan how all of this turned out. We can't help how we feel. But you know I love you, right? He asked again. Tonks laughed. Yes, Remus. You love me. You'll never leave me. I'm your mate. I get it. Hermione could tell that the conversation was something that had occurred more than once. At the sudden silence coming from the kitchen, she blushed and realized that she was intruding on a very private moment between the couple. Stepping into the fireplace, Hermione tossed the flu powder and whispered, The burrow! before disappearing. She was still here, Remus informed Tonks, the exact moment he knew that Hermione had vanished from the cottage. Probably heard every word we said. Tonks flicked one of his ears teasingly. You and that lupine hearing. She left his side, opening up the cooling cabinet and staring at it with an intense glare as though she could intimidate it into making breakfast for them. When nothing happened, she shrugged and grabbed the plate of warm, uh, of leftover roast that Molly had sent over at some point. She set the food down in front of Remus, still cold because she had yet to even manage warming charms when it came to cooking without burning the food, and smiled sweetly as he took a bite without hesitation. So, has she always been a terrible snoop? You have no idea what that girl is capable of, Remus said with a tired chuckle. And right now... Neither does she. Ta-da! What do you think? 
It's very gripping and very interesting, and I cannot wait to see what happens next, but I will say that I do love that I get more of, like, a Tonks and Remus relationship here, because in the movie, they don't really give you that much, and I always like them as a couple, so I'm happy I get to see their love interaction here. Yeah, me too, because, like, I... You know me, I love, love Remus. He's probably one of my favorite characters, but getting the interaction between him and Tonks. Like, you get more of it in the books than you do in the movies, but even then, you're not getting tons. And I just... You want to know more about them, because, I mean, they're not... Especially Tonks, she's not in the series terribly long. So... Alright, well, you made it through Chapter 1. Congratulations! Woo! Woo! Only 152 chapters left. No big deal. <laughs> That's a weekend for y'all. It's fine. I mean, to be fair, I did read this original. I read this series originally in, I think, like three days. I started it after work on a Thursday. Read all the way through the night. Finally fell asleep at no shit, four o'clock in the morning. Woke up at like eight. Called in sick to work. Sorry, old job. My bad. I don't work there anymore, so you can't fire me. Sorry. Not sorry. Um, it was part-time. It's not an entirely huge deal. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, stayed through the night, read it, called in sick to work the next day, read more, finally finished it at like 4 a.m. on Saturday. It was amazing. And then I immediately started rereading it. <laughs> there are so many things that you miss and like have to go back and reread so I'm kind of glad that we're doing this as a podcast because you know people will be able to go wait a second I remember hearing that about that in chapter such and such and then they can go back and re-listen but anyway so this is it this is the dead of time this is Shayalani this is her magnum opus this is one of the most popular fan fictions of all time and uh I'm glad you're liking it yeah, me too. I always am curious about all these uh, Harry Potter things because I can't think of a word that are out there. But I'm actually really am excited to learn more because from Potterless, I learned a lot that I did not know. And now when I watch the movies, I look at them differently. So it's all good. So there are two huge fanfiction websites. One is fanfiction.net, which is what we are reading from. And we are reading from fanfiction.net because there are actually two versions of this story. One is super sexually explicit. The other is, there's some raunchy stuff, but it is not, it's not explicit. It's mature, but it's not explicit. But yeah, so for those of you who have read Dead of Time before and are aware of the two versions... We are reading the mature version, not the explicit version, because there are certain things that even I am not comfortable saying on the World Wide Web. Sorry. (laughs) As luck would have it for our first ever podcast, it began to rain not only at Kat's location, but also at mine. So we apologize for the background noise. One of the things I love is I haven't spent money on books in years because I literally just read fanfiction. The awkward thing is, you know, when I'm like, yeah, I'm a voracious reader and people are like, great, how, you know, tell me something you've read recently. And I'm like, well, I can't tell you about the Dramione smut fest I just read last (laughs) week. So sorry, I'll just say that I was, you know, reading Paris 1919 or Why Nations Fail or, you know, the four hour work week or something. Speaking of, 
Thank you, Tim Ferriss, for getting me to podcasting. I love I don't know how long the uh, post-cast chat is supposed to go, but I feel like we're starting to hit the point where it should probably end. So thank you, everyone. I say everyone, like there's a ton of people listening to us. It's probably going to be like, you know, the 50 people that I got excited about this on the uh, Dead of Time hey, Facebook. there group, are but... millions of people listening to us. We are so huge. It's ridiculous. We can't even go outside anymore. And we love you all. <laughs> but for realsies, to anyone who is listening, thank you so much for struggling through our first attempt at podcasting. Uh, this is actually our third attempt at recording this episode because it took us that long before we finally broke down and we're like yeah you know what we need <laughs> we need microphones <laughs> and we need microphones and practice and i have since learned to edit thank you youtube and audacity um thank you to the people who recommended that i use clean feed to record this because this was way easier than the other program we were using Thank you to all of the Amazon reviewers who actually recorded with their microphones so that I could get an idea for what these sounded like. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to Shailani, who gave us the green light to make this podcast. I cannot begin to describe how much I love this woman. I've actually gotten to know her somewhat through social media, and she is just a wonder. Now... Now that this podcast is out, uh, we would love it if you would follow us. We are online at firewhiskeyandhoney.com. No E in whiskey. There's two ways to spell it. Americans generally put the E. Scots generally don't because this is based on Harry Potter and that's Scottish. I'm kidding. I'm just giving you a bullshit reason. Hermione. J.K. Rowling doesn't spell fire whiskey with an E, so there's no E in fire whiskey. So, fire whiskey, no E andhoney.com or you can follow us on Instagram it is firewhiskeyandhoneypodcast so uh, we look forward to having you follow us we look forward to having you listen to us and we look forward to releasing another episode next week yay yay <laughs> thank you for lending us your ears we appreciate your and listening ears. to our shenanigans <laughs> so many shenanigans tell your friends actually yeah d do that please tell your friends and if you liked our podcast please leave us a review if you did not like our podcast please just don't listen to it if you don't like it don't listen to it you don't have to say mean things on the internet because you can't take those back and we can't erase them so if you don't like us we're sorry to hear that please move on if you do like us please tell everyone you know leave us five star reviews leave us lots of comments we like comments tell all the muggles witches and wizards and goblins you know in the house elves they just yes and the, i was actually just thinking that <laughs> i was just thinking that i should have said that thank you <laughs> Uh, this Master, is why we're has given, <laughs> Master has given Dobby a podcast. Dobby is free. <laughs> oh All right. Bye, everyone. Peace. <laughs>